Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On this week's episode, we're celebrating the new series, The Good Fight, the spinoff of The Good Wife. We're talking to executive producers Michelle and Robert King, as well as series star Christine Baranski. So stay tuned. Television for Variety, and I have the pleasure of being joined today by Robert and Michelle King, creators and executive producers of The Good Wife, and now The Good Fight, coming up on CBS All Access in February. Welcome, and thank you for joining us. Oh, no, thank, thank you for you. having us. Uh, this morning at the uh, Television Critics Association, we got a taste of The Good Fight with a terrific panel with your stars, Christine Baranski, Kush Jumbo, Delroy Lindo, a, re- a really nice array of actors, and it just w- whetted everybody's appetite to, you know, revisit with Diane and see how things are going for her. It sounds like there's some there's some drama there. Tell me, as the um, as the as the planning for the for the good fight began, how much how much of the idea of the good fight was in your mind as you were wrapping up? The good wife. Not much. No, I was say no. A lot no. Um, it, we were very focused on Alicia Florrick's story and how that was going to end. So it, it, it was just by happenstance that Christine Baranski popped so much in the last few episodes, and then it worked out that we could get her for the show. Mm-hmm. So that so there was no like th- thinking of that sort of thematic through line that. No, not till afterwards. Not until it came about. Mm-hmm. Um, what um, over the years when you were doing Good Wife did you did you think did you think spinoff at all did you think of characters that could live on in other forms as there was always the sense that like Elizabeth Tassioni would make a really good Columbo like show you know because uh-huh. she's just she's has her own kind of world that envelops her so it'd be like okay what is that world and how could you do it but I don't think we had any sense of like Christine Baranski inhabiting a world. It's um, that was no. Go ahead. Well, I mean, the characters are so real to me that I always have a sense that they're off living their own lives, even if we don't happen to have a camera trained on them. So for me, like they all were doing their own little shows. We just didn't happen to be telling those stories. But it wasn't as though I was consciously thinking, "Oh, and now it's time to make that television show." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was the catalyst for the good fight really coming to fruition? Uh, one was um, a producerial question. When the show came to an end, there was such a strong family. I mean, it, it, it's, you always think of the shows as being what's in front of the camera, but it's an amazing mass of hundreds of people mm-hmm. who 
in this case, stay with each other for all seven seasons. It was kind of weird, and it all has to be because New York production didn't really start taking off until after we started. So we had a group that was pretty much the same, uh, executive producer, Brooke Kennedy, um, and she brought together in the DP, Fred Murphy. So one of the thoughts was, is there any way to keep this group together? And that was the thought of some kind of spinoff that was network and that we would hand off, we wouldn't be involved with. And then David Staff, who heads up CVS Studios, said, what if we did 10 episodes as streaming? That suddenly became more appealing to us because it's hard to do 22 episodes a year. Right. 10 episodes is the bite size you kind of want. It's the amount of story you want to tell. You don't feel like you're belaboring things. You don't feel like you're you know, uh, stalling for story. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were much more intrigued by that. Is there anything else? No, I think you hit it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, and you have both been articulate about this show is going to be a show very much of its moment. And, you know, talking about Trump, talking about this, you know, this strange tension in the country right now of this transition of power that a lot of people on the coast didn't see, didn't see coming. Can you have the events of the last, say, you know, four months really influenced the, the writing and the, and the tone that you're taking with Good Wife? Good, fu- good Fight, excuse me. Yes, and I think it's because our characters are political. It, it, it isn't even so much that we want to impose politics on the show. It's that we happen to have a show with characters that are politically aware and have political points of view. So they are going to be responding to what's going on in the news. And as a result, the show is. There are so many TV shows that are about the fantasy life, whether nostalgia, going backwards, or... You know, in fantasy lands, it it always I always liked what about Good Wife is it felt like it was what you were reading in the news this morning or yesterday or tape days, both with the use of tech, but also with what's going on in current events. So as soon as Trump won, we were shooting the first episode, we rewrote it, um, the scenes that were still to be shot to take that into account and to suggest this is now they're on the verge of a very different world. Um it was really actually a kick in the ass to the show, creatively, mm-hmm. because you're always looking for what is the reason we're doing this. Mm-hmm. And you hate the idea, oh, we want to make money or we want to keep the crew together. What is the reason you're doing it? And it really gave a lot of a spine, basically, a creative spine to the show. Mm-hmm. And I hate saying that because it's, it, that sounds like it's anti-Trump and that all Hollywood's anti-Trump. It, what I think is more interesting is how liberals react and sometimes overreact. Um, and how does the culture change? Culture of fake news, culture of alt-right. You know, how, how is everything, there's a big 180-degree shift that we all took. What hap- what's happened now? It feels, a, there's, it feels like almost a whiplash. I mean, it really, you know, and people can point the finger and say that we, we are all media elites and we were in our ivory towers while there was this simmering going on. But um, when you making that pivot and doing those pages... It sounds like you found it really invigorating, or was it tough to figure out, you know, in the hours after that election, how to take <laughs> In the hours after the election, it was funny, uh, you're in New York, but it was one of the few times you could walk down the street and nobody was looking at their iPhones, not a single person. It was just, I think everybody was just, I'm sick of it. I just don't want to face it. So as soon as we kind of went through that, because we were shooting that night of the election, and then the next day, and... You know, there was this shell shockness, even the Teamsters. You know, there was this, um, 
it felt like what you needed to do is, okay, recalibrate. Mm-hmm. The reason Diane is retiring is because she's broken every glass ceiling, and even Hillary being in the White House made her feel like she's achieved everything she wanted, so now she can go and be, it can be time for herself. Reconfiguring, it was like, it starts now, the first episode starts with her watching the inauguration and turning off the TV and realizing, I don't want to live here anymore. And it's like one of those liberals who says, I want to live in Canada. So the retirement took on a whole new meaning within the show. Mm-hmm. And without, I know, you know, without giving too much away, because you talked about it today, um, she will, through a series of events, find herself joining a largely African-American firm? Yes. Tell, tell me about the genesis of that idea. You know, it, it, was, it was just a way to see Diane in a completely different environment, and yet that seemed true to Chicago. There, there are mm-hmm. all African-American firms. Mm-hmm. And so how interesting is it when she comes in and she is no longer, you know, the top partner. She did not found the firm. She's trying to adapt to a, a new corporate culture. It, also, it just seemed like a way to underline a different status for Diane. And also what was fun in doing some research on all African-American firms or majority-owned African-American firms is it's not all an idealistic premise. Premise: um, A lot of firms, some that we interviewed, these were African-American lawyers who were working at all white firms, majority white owner firms, and they found they were losing out on contracts that were no-bid contracts that were put aside for minority-owned businesses. So a lot of these firms formed because it was lucrative to it, made sense. So that kind of always felt like it fit into the good wife premise, which mm-hmm. is people can do good things, but often for, you know, very practical Practic- reasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and that's kind of fun, too, because when you bring on more Caucasian partners, are you undercutting your status as a minority-owned firm? So that just felt like it was a cynical... It would be what... If Ben Hecht were alive today, he would grab at that and go, mm-hmm. oh, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, uh, have you given thought to, you know other good wife characters that might come into the orbit, you know, might even Alicia come into it. <laughs> uh, we, you know, we were pretty clear of, we saw where Alicia Florick's story ended. And so it felt like we wanted to turn our attention creatively to this other big cast, especially since we only have 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be able to service them appropriately. And Juliana, correctly, was worried that it would come in and be a big thing. Mm-hmm. And yet the story was told it would be like that ambiguous ending would be undercut by this little asterisk of, oh, she's still alive, she's still, you know, she take, took up sailing or something, you know, who knows. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> we have Carrie Preston coming back as Elspeth Tassioni, Sarah Steele is a regular on the show uh, who plays Melissa Gold. Um, you know, we have a lot of the judges that we loved and the lawyers Dennis O'Hare and Jane Alexander. Um, it's uh, it's actually been fun to kind of go back to those people and say, okay, now it's a year later. What are they about? Mm-hmm. And of course, judges. You know, that, that's completely natural in exactly. your world. Exactly. Yeah. And I imagine you will continue the great tradition of having lots of great stage actors come in. Yes. Or, <laughs> or, or as we think of the tradition, making the AD's lives really hard. Because <laughs> it's just it's a real problem to schedule. But who can resist when you have you know the best actors in America available to you? 
Yeah, it's 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 quite a quite a, a talent pool there yes. that you're working in. Did you ever think? Um, did you ever consider filming it anywhere other than New York? Originally, oh, you mean Good Fight or Good Wife? Sorry, Good Fight. No, no. no. Mm-hmm. The 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 company was there. Christine Baranci's life is there. Um, oh yeah, Good you know. Uh, no, it wasn't. It never even came. It, it up. didn't come up this no. time, did it? No. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm guessing because in part of the the family that you discussed yeah, in terms I mean, of that's, that. That's and we had this. Stages, yeah. you know, it was it was very much the production was rooted there. The question we had was actually, do you keep the fictional show set in Chicago? Mm-hmm. That we discussed. Mm-hmm. We discussed whether to move it to New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you could, you know, then film New York for New York instead of New York for Chicago but what outweighed it was if you did that there was no natural way then to bring in all these old characters that you right. love right. You, you wouldn't have those same judges and so you would deny yourself those great actors and then you'd be in an awkward position because there wouldn't be as many people to cast because we've used so many of them yeah, right. <laughs> right exactly and of course you know Chicago Right now is a city that is, you know, I think fairly described is is really in turmoil right now. It's it's there's a lot of headlines about about the level of crime and the level of, you know, maybe you know, call it sort of you know social dysfunction in the city. Is that something that that especially given the setting that Diane will be working in? Is that something that you'll touch on? You think? So especially the law firm. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now the law firm finds it's making a, quite a bit of money from police brutality cases. That Cook County really wants to pay those out. To avoid a embarrassment and b even bigger payout, so I'm just going to sneeze. Sorry, <laughs> it's okay. Um, but uh, yes, having said that, you know how is a liberal city facing having an administration that looks a little less fondly on it? You know, mm-hmm. that's a, a lot of material there. Yeah, sure. oh baby. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay. While you're doing this, while you're birthing this new child, is there anything else, any other projects that you're working uh, on? Vatican City, which was reported on a while ago, we had to put on hold while we were working on this, but it's a, um, it's kind of the opposite of the new pope in the many ways, because even though it's a fictional pope, it is a, um, a pope who's trying to create a rebellion from the top. So he knows that, that he can never make uh, women... Uh, priest. So what he does is he hires our lead character on as a spokesperson. Mm. This is the first female spokesperson to the Pope. And it's present day. Present day. Yeah. It, it's set up at Showtime, is that right? Uh, at awesome. Amazon Prime. Amazon. Oh, okay. Great. We'll watch that. Um, and let's talk a little bit. You, you guys um, had a really, I think, a very adventurous experiment this past summer with the sh- with the show Brain Dead. From the beginning, you guys were very clear about you wanted to do something completely out there, completely you know not what not what viewers were expecting from a summer drama series. Was it the show did not get renewed? But was it a fulfilling experience in doing that? Completely fulfilling. Yeah, I'll speak for myself. Uh, completely fulfilling. It was exactly the story we wanted to tell. The character, uh, the actors were wonderful. Yeah. I mean, they let us do the goofiest stuff on TV. I, I still can't believe we were allowed to tell that story. And, you know, it, it did complete itself in a nice way in 13 episodes. So, for me, it was just a big win. Now, the best thing is when you like the actors... I mean, when people like each other. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're working so hard, so many hours. And Mary Elizabeth Winstead is so good. 
I don't know if she's found her vehicle yet. Maybe it will be Fargo, but she's amazing. Yeah, and, and she was amazing in that in a role where she I had to sell a lot, you know? sell a lot because she had to make it seem real. It's right. goofy stuff that happens to her, and she completely committed to this odd world. Uh, and then Tony Shalhoub, who is. I mean, Tony Shalhoub, you expect it from because of how oddball he can get and still keep it grounded. But I, I, some of the biggest laughs I've ever had was watching his dailies. <laughs> and then Aaron Tveit with, I mean, it was just... And Danny a, Pino was yeah. terrific in a very different role for him. So yeah. it was great fun. Yeah. yeah. Did you kind of go into it knowing that it, because it was such a flyer in concept that, you know, you probably weren't looking at seven seasons of Rain Dead? We had figured out four iterations of the story. But we had built it in such a way that to just tell that first iteration would be very satisfying, at least to us. Mm-hmm. Because to the next, unlike season two of The Good Wife, which is really a continuation of that same story, the second season of in our imagination of what Branded would be would have transplanted it to a different city oh, uh-huh. it may have been different characters so it would have felt very different our second year was going to go to Wall Street and see the same stupidity <laughs> <laughs> and see the same stupidity that happened in D.C. Was having in Wall Street, and the third year was going to be Silicon Valley, okay. and the fourth year was going to be Hollywood. I basically, decimate the country yes. by season four. Uh, That's I loved called. how they did that with the wire that each year sort of concentrated on another mm-hmm. part of Baltimore. I think um, we probably, given Trump's election, would have changed it and stayed in D.C. for another year. <laughs> but too much material, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was something where we were so far out on the limb story wise. It felt like the only thing you could do was keep going out further. So we had this idea Jonathan Colton would do these little uh, musical summaries for the show. It was a it was a grab bag of crazy thoughts. <laughs> and, and also yes. the titles of each episode were like 12 name words long, you know. It just felt like okay, this is this is kind of goofy, but the thing to do is not go backwards, keep going forward. Yeah, the musical recaps are still some of my favorite things that we've ever done, including there was a recap of a Gunsmoke episode that we just threw in there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was not traditional. And, of course, it wasn't picked up. I don't know what we were thinking. Actually, we weren't even thinking that. I mean, I think after the first night of uh, ratings, it was like, yeah, CBS, this, this is one-off. This is one they did for us because they like us because of Good Wife. But, you know, kudos to you for, for taking that shot and doing something that was not a cookie-cutter, you know, cop, doc, or lawyer show. Right, that, that sounds like... That it was not. It's like giving a trophy to the slowest person in soccer. <laughs> no. Can I, ask, can I ask you about your, your, your personal and professional partnership? You guys are, uh, you know, so, um, obviously, so, you know, so um, uh, tightly connected in, in your shows. Can I ask you how it works? You know, marriage is hard at the, hard in the best of circumstances, but working together all day is that does that a, present a challenge at times? Uh, no, actually, you have that way of putting it that still <laughs> running. Well, I don't understand how anyone does the job without doing it with their spouse. And I mean, to me, it would feel very unnatural not to have all of it linked. So mm-hmm. I, I don't find it a challenge, and I think it would be hard the other way. Mm-hmm. I, we don't take 
home fights to work or work fights at home. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. And our daughter is just really good to us. And, <laughs> um, we let her name the characters. She helps us choose the music. I mean, it's really kind of family affair-esque. Um, I would say we split up functions a bit. Michelle's casting, um, wardrobe, some production design. I do editing. Um, and some directing, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, as long as you don't have areas where, wait, why'd you decide that? That's crazy. You always have to kind of support each other and each other's decisions. Good thing about TV is there's so many decisions <laughs> have to be made. I mean, I wonder if people don't do it in features because the decisions have the time expands and the decisions reduce. But here it's the opposite. You just need fast decisions, and you're thrilled that the other person can make them for you. Mm-hmm. And since you've been working together at such a high level, would you say that it, it, it you know, that your your bonds at home have been stronger? Does it? That's it, a good question. What do you think? Uh, impossible to say. Okay. Um, I, I mean, in other words, had we never done this, do I feel like our marriage wouldn't be as right, good? Right, no, right, I, right. I, sorry, yeah. sorry. But it, it does give us something to talk. I mean, it's never boring. <laughs> I would say that. I have a feeling if we weren't doing this, not that we would be bored with each other, but we sure would lead a boring life. (laughs) Well, I think that's a great note to close on. Thank you both so much. Michelle and Robert King, really appreciate your time. So that's what executive producers Michelle and Robert King had to say about their new series, The Good Fight. TV critic Mo Ryan and I chatted with Christine Baranski about how she felt about stepping into the starring role. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, Variety's executive editor of TV. I am Maureen Ryan, the chief TV critic for Variety. And it's our pleasure to welcome Christine Baranski. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. And we're very excited to returning to TV in The Good Fight. I know. It's amazing. It's amazing to continue something that was so of such high quality writing and uh, production levels and, and just to be, you know, m- moving it forward in, in, a, in, a, in a new way, but in a lot, of, a, a lot that is familiar about the, uh, and the best of The Good Wife will continue, and yet it will be something really quite new and exciting. How quickly did you say yes when they came to you with this idea? Well, the idea had been milling around. Uh, there was talk of a spinoff for a long time, but the Kings then were tied up with doing Brain Dead, so it was it remained kind of up in the air. And then I had a big career decision to make, and and I got another offer, frankly, and and it was well, is this going to happen or not? Because I'd rather stay with you. I'd rather be part of the 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 team, the creators of The Good Wife, and I'd rather continue with Diane if it's going to happen. So actually, it happened on one weekend when they said, no, let's make this happen. But that said, I there was no script. I was not given anything to read that made me say, oh, yes, this is a script that I approve of. In the way that it usually happens, you're given you know, at least some idea of what it's going to be. But I went on faith because having worked with these writers for seven years, I think the world of them, and I th- and I always uh, thought 
how lucky I was as an actress to play a character with so much intelligence and complexity and integrity as Diane Lockhart. I thought, well, it doesn't get any better than that. Plus, show shoots in Brooklyn. I can live in New York. I can have my life. I love the crew. I love, there, was, there was so much to love about everything about The Good Wife that if we were able to reconfigure it, I thought, well, let's give that a try. So I, you know... Uh, said, okay, I'll turn down the other offer. And then I waited all summer for some idea to emerge, and it was a long time uh, before it emerged. But uh, it finally came together, and here I am talking to you, and I couldn't be happier. We're f- uh, five episodes into a 10-episode arc. What did it mean to you to step into number one on the call sheet? Well, my joke is it means you get up earlier, you work longer, and your character suffers more. <laughs> <laughs> That's number one. When I was number two on the call sheet, I didn't work as often. I was always beautifully dressed behind a big desk, and I called the shots because I was number one at the law firm. <laughs> now that I'm number one on the call sheet, I uh, I work harder, and plus my character's just gone through hell in the pilot, so she's scrambling to get a job. <laughs> so it's all kind of topsy-turvy. Isn't it supposed to be when you're number one, you're like the glamour girl? <laughs> But Not when the kings that, are writing. Exactly. <laughs> no, but that happened to Juliana. You know, she was number sure. one on the call sheet, but her character suffered for seven years, and she carried the Absolutely. show on her back. So, But that's a nice problem to have. I'm happy to get up early. I'm happy to work hard, and I'm happy to see my character go through hell because who wants to see her just sipping rosé in the south of France? That doesn't make for great television. Makes for a great living, but not for great television. Where can I sign up for that? (laughs) I would sign up for that. But uh, one of the things that's interesting about The Good Fight is that um, so much of The Good Wife was about a woman reinventing herself and remaking her life after, you know, going through a lot of terrible stuff. And, And there is that parallel with The Good Fight, but it's a different character, it's a different time. How would you say Diane's quest, or how is it shaping up, you know, to be different, you know, she's a different character, obviously, we know and love all of her different qualities, but does it feel like a pretty different journey? And it's something that fans will recognize the characters, but aspects of it will be quite... Well, I think because the, the fans of the show lived with Diane's character for seven years, they're invested in her and who she is and what her stature was in life. The pilot has her going through a really steep decline. She is a victim of a Ponzi scheme, and just as she's retiring and ready to spend half the year in her, you know, dream house in Provence and and uh, retire gracefully and pass, you know, sign her exit package with her retirement firmly in place, she loses her money, <clears throat> and she they won't let her back into the firm that she created. Family members are the people who swindled her. She's been, suffered betrayal, and uh, it's, it's a very steep descent that she goes through. I mean, to find yourself in your 60s with everything you've created, you lose your money, your reputation, your stature in the world, I mean, just think about what what the psychology... I mean, I, I had to work very hard to imagine. What is it like when you just a- actually lose your foundation completely? Everything that defined you is gone, including, you know, your marriage. She's 
starts the pilot estranged from her husband because of his infidelity, which we saw played out in the final episode of The Good Wife. So she she suffers a spectacular loss, and uh, she doesn't even have children, so she's alone. She's alone in this. But if you think back to 2008 when people lost their mm-hmm. savings and lost their fortunes and people in their 60s had to go back and work at Walmart, I mean, there's a large segment of the population that probably can relate to the fact that, yeah, this stuff can happen to people. You can lose everything. And I also think there's a parallel with what's going on in the world right now, with what's going on in our country, that we're psychically feeling a bit unmoored with what's happened with the election, whether, no matter how you voted either way, the fact is the nation as a whole has suffered a, a, a kind of a trauma and, a, and a, a 180, and we're all wondering what's happened. You know, what we're not on terra firma, terra firma anymore. And I think it's interesting that this show is happening at this moment in time because I think mm-hmm. that's exactly Diane's universe. She doesn't know... She's falling. She's in free fall. And she's working at an African-American firm. Her whole life has been being redefined, and she's having to reinvent herself. And uh, in many ways, it can be creative and liberating to lose everything and start again. But when I think about the good fight, it's where do you get the energy when you've lost everything or where everything you've known, you've known, is, is no longer there. You can't assume that the old constructs exist. Where do you get the energy to pull yourself up and start again? And I think we're kind of at that place psychologically as a country. Certainly women are feeling that way because we assume we would see a woman president. We assumed women's issues would be in the forefront. We assumed we were safe with reproductive rights. And, you know, we would have a champion who is mm-hmm. going to be in the white... That's all changed, and we're, you know, you read a lot of articles now about what, what's going to happen to feminism. How do we refigure that? How do we get the energy to keep fighting? I mean, these are big, big themes, but curiously enough, I think the show is going to be able to tap into a lot of national psychological female anxiety. That's something that think the Kings have always been really good at about weaving in what's happening in politics and national headlines into the show. Is that something we're going to continue to see? Well, when they began writing this and when they conceived of it, they they did not know how the election would go, but I, I feel fairly certain that they did not expect Donald Trump to win the presidency, and we were filming the pilot before, during, and after the election. I was shooting my uh, most emotional scenes two days before, the day of, and two days after the election. They didn't know how it was going to uh, play out, and it surprised all of us and stunned us, but I think they're using it as an opportunity to write about life in a Trumpian world, and I think they're looking forward to it. I mean... (laughs) as insecure as it makes us all feel and might make for great writing and a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. We've already incorporated a lot of it into the show. How does the Trumpian world affect Diane? Well, you know, she's a liberal feminist, so... <laughs> Can't wait to see. Uh, I'm, I've said this at the at the press conference, but there is a, a incredible scene where she has 
Hillary Clinton's one of the last things she puts in the box is she's saying goodbye to her office as she's leaving her firm forever is one of the last things that goes into the box is her her photograph with Hillary Clinton and um uh, the day we shot the scene was the day before the election when i thought she would be elected president now i think when that when we air that pilot in february and you see her put that picture in the box it's going to have a whole other resonance i don't know if this comes into play at all but i think um I absolutely agree with what you said about people feeling like we're through the looking glass somehow like that's we're just in this uncharted territory and yeah. everything is topsy turvy but I think um some of the most memorable <clears throat> excuse me some of the most memorable Diane scenes of uh the good wife were when she was enraged and is part of her recovery process just being really mad I mean I think she's someone who's she's strong and resilient and she's but she it is. takes a lot to get to push her to a place of rage but yeah her rage would be warranted I do have one scene in the second episode where I kind of let it rip um I hope you see more of it I'd like to see this character in extremis I want to see her in the lowest depths of sadness and you you see a scene in the pilot where she breaks down uh, with Kurt and says divorce me because you know your assets will be affected and um he doesn't want to divorce her but she finally lets go and lets go with him because he's the closest person to her and and allows herself to just share you know show her tremendous sense of grief that she's lost everything i mean you can imagine uh but yeah i'd i'd like to see this woman get pushed against the wall and see how she reacts cuz she's known for being very graceful and you know I think women have always loved her because she does have that kind of integrity and gracefulness under pressure and it was like women would think yeah women in power can like go toe to toe with the guys they don't mm-hmm. lose their cool they're not going to turn into a bitch they're mm-hmm. not these clichés she's she's a cool she's cool she knows she's you know obama-esque in her ability to just be rational and have a sense of humor and just hold it together. She weathered a lot of ups and downs, but she never mm-hmm. you never saw her go home and drink herself into a stupor or resort to anything extreme. You know, she Or collapse in tears. No. Right. No, or turn into some raging bitch. Mm-hmm. No. We avoided a lot of clichés about women. Mm-hmm. So, uh be interesting to see her really get pushed. One of the other things I loved about her too was her intelligence and you know her arguments and her the way she would take on challenging cases. I hope we'll see more of that in this. I hope so too. It's like one of the my favorite things about working for the Kings and one of the reasons I wanted to continue is I love doing those court cases and particularly the cases that had to do with intellectual argument. Um it's very challenging for an actor to, you know, have to rise up to that level and and do those those scenes where you're you're literally making a case for or against and I just love playing an intelligent woman who knows how to articulate her thoughts and use words and uh we need to see more of those kind of women out in in out in media you talked about 
you know, sort of the, the genesis of it and taking it over that weekend, which I'm sure was very eventful. But I think you have also said that you knew from the beginning that it was going to be CBS All Access. Was was that is that do I have that right? That was that part of was part of the appeal going to um, All Access and being able to do sort of something with a maybe more cable streaming sensibility. To yes, some degree? but that said, if if they had said we're going to do an eighth season of The Good Wife, I would have said, okay. I was prepared mm-hmm. to do one or two more seasons because, well, because I just thought, for all the reasons I articulated, I thought there there were so many good things about it. Uh, <clears throat> but then, I, of course, I realized why they wanted to end the story arc and why Juliana, would, after seven years, wanted to leave. But um, if they had said, no, we're going to do 22, I pr- probably would have said, okay, to that. Nothing wrong with a good salary for 22 weeks playing a great character. But it is very attractive, after seven years of doing 22, to do 10 episodes and do that kind of dramatic work and have the rest of the year. So many people are saying to me, when are you going to come back to the theater? And it's been a long time. Mm -hmm. And the network construct never allowed for a play. It's just not, you don't have enough time you have two and a half month hiatus and by Jan- by july you're back you're back at it plus i have a life i want i'd like to live my life and do mm-hmm. other things so yeah this is perfect do you miss the theater mm-hmm. i do miss the theater what about i mean is it just language yeah um live audience doing the same thing night after night and being able to get better at it and refining the work. When you're doing television, you get the script, you learn it, you shoot it, moving on <laughs> to the next one. I'd, if you asked me, I mean, I've, I reviewed the last episodes that I've done for the purposes of this, this press tour today, but so often if you ask me about an episode in, you know, that happened a few weeks ago, I'll say, I don't know, what happened in that one? <laughs> because you just keep... You just keep doing it. And um, it's a fast-moving train, whereas the theater, you really get to refine a performance over the course of many nights, many months, maybe. Mm-hmm. Getting back to the good fight, I have to get... I'm going to learn that one. It's going to start to roll I on know, the tongue. I, I know, I know. You're also building a new family. You've got, as much as you're coming from a familiar place and a familiar show, you've also creating, you've got a new cast that you're working with, Kush and Rose Leslie. Talk about creating that place and creating that family and a new cast. I'm just so thrilled about how this has transpired. I mean, the minute they, you know, as, as soon as they talked to me about the spinoff, I went to Kush and said, if, if this happens would you consider coming on board with me? Because um, I adore her, and I think she's just an up-and-coming, brilliant actress. And uh, then the addition, when they wrote the pilot of Rose, who's not, you know, also a brilliant young actress, lovely human being. So that's already like, okay, we've got three women. Then we get Sarah Steele back, who's like just so yummy, such a gifted actress. And uh, now we have Erica. And so we have five, five women on a show, and they're all in, like, you know, they're all front and center. They, you, you'll see them all the time on this show. I don't want to necessarily care. I, th- I think I could characterize them as series regulars. Um, then we have Delroy. I mean, it's, it, it's expanded into this marvelous ensemble, 
And uh, I just look around and I think everyone's so unique. Everyone's a first-rate actor, but they're also everybody's so different. It's it's an eclectic, interesting uh, group of actors. And as I said, combined with good writing, I think we we could have something very special. To say nothing of the fact that now we. You know, we're having all of those actors that came in and out as judges and lawyers and characters that we've known. They're coming back, and um, we have Carrie Preston on this show, and she's coming back as that quirky lawyer. And I think that will be great fun for the audience as well. So it was always based on really interesting, great acting combined with wonderful writing. So I think that's what the audience will see. What is, um, I mean, obviously we're talking about a lot of different changes, different cast, different character dynamics, and this, that, and the other. What's what's most, what feels most familiar? Like when you're grasping for something that makes you feel like, okay, <laughs> here's something I really recognize. What, do you, what are the things that kind of are the continuity factors for you? Great clothes and shoes and jewelry, <laughs> which is the sine qua non. It, you know, to be perfectly honest, why did I want to come back as Diane Lockhart? Why do you think, ladies? Wardrobe. <laughs> Wardrobe. She Same designer. Looks amazing. And Michelle said in my in costume fitting, yeah. she said, well, okay, so Diane loses all her money, but she's still going to look good. And I said, she'll have to give up her clothes. <laughs> no. In fact, when, when things are down, that's when you really need to look good. Right? Absolutely. So that's it. No argument from us. I have had women come up to me and say, I hope, I hope you're still going to have those big brooches. And I hope you're still going to... Is it the same costume designer, I hope? And I said, yes. So they said, oh, okay. <laughs> it's so important, though. It's, such, it's, it's a language that people speak. You know, presentation is so important. It is. And I think they loved always seeing that not only was she well-dressed, but she wasn't dressed like a guy. She was feminine. She mm-hmm. wore colors. She wore dresses. She wore jewelry I mean she was you know she's a she's a girl girl she's a she thought she about was it very she feminine mm-hmm. and uh women loved that yeah she had a style all her own and she she was there was something about the show that was it owned femininity and mm-hmm. certain kinds of modes of being a woman and there are many modes obviously and he but dresses all the female characters so specifically and uh wait till you see i mean we uh, each woman is Every all the ladies on the show are so beautiful and so unique, and and they're all stylistically different. But it's it's a it's I you know what I call myself um, legal Barbie, <laughs> <laughs> and each outfit is like this is litigation Barbie or this is police brutality Barbie or Cocktail this party. is you know we according to the court case yeah. it's you know. Capital Murder One Barbie, but you know I always show up in court mm-hmm. looking like you know I'm a Barbie. I'm a you know he dresses me up and I've got the shoes and the you know and uh, it's a, it's a joke. It's a wonderful joke. I wonder what nighttime Barbie looks like. <laughs> Will we get to see? <laughs> yes, we don't get to see much of Provence Barbie <laughs> in her farmhouse. No, you just get one Provence Barbie with, and I've got a wonderful outfit, by the way. But you will see Provence Barbie. Oh, and the, the, one of the opening scenes is Provence Barbie. Well, I, I hope I, I must say that as a as a fangirl, I really hope that um, Diane is able to repair her marriage. I'm sorry if that I don't know if that's something I shouldn't bring up, but I think that that your work with Gary Cole is just it's phenomenal. tremendous. Yeah, it's tremendous. I know. Right before uh, 
I flew out. We worked Friday night. He came in, and we did a whole day of work together. He's like butter, you know. It's just... Uh, and the two of you together. Yeah, and we had some wonderful scenes. And we are estranged. We've remained estranged. But I'm happy to say that he's already been in two shows, and I've done wonderful scenes with him. And what I love is how much the audience loves that relationship. Yeah. It's a real grown-up relationship. I know. And there aren't many of them on television. No. And she's, you know, she married late in life, but she married a guy guy. They don't agree politically, but he gets her out in the outfits with the shooting and the shooting range. and <laughs> Shooting Barbie. I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ballistics Barbie. <laughs> and um, it's, it's sexy. They're sexy together. And I, I just one of my favorite things that that mm-hmm. and that was early on I think that was in the first season yeah or maybe this early in the second season that he came into her life and it's just been a lasting relationship and I think the audience will root for them yeah yeah well the chemistry has always leapt off the screen with those two it's just mm-hmm. been like yeah for, and I do think he's a complex. consummate actor I must tell you he flies in from doing Veep, he comes in. He just knows his lines. We play the scenes. I, you know, I, I call him uh, Gary. Check the gate, Cole. That means, you know, when they say check the gate, it means they've got the scene. You know, you don't have to shoot anymore, and they get it in one or two takes. Because, well, never one, because you always need a backup take. But I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll we can nail a scene in, in two or three takes, and we're done. Moving on, because Gary, you know. He knows his words. I know my words. We know the characters. And uh, we'll just do it. I wouldn't expect anything less. Well, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're looking forward to seeing it. No, I think you you. won't be disappointed. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next week with another great episode. We'll be talking to the cast and creators of Showtime's Billions. This has been Remote Controlled, only on Variety. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.